All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Building Better SaaS podcast. Uh, on the podcast, we like to bring in experts uh, to talk about various topics that are going to be relevant to SaaS companies, uh, their products, and certainly the teams that are building those products. Uh, my name is David Abramson. I'm the Chief Technology Officer here at Curvey. Just a bit of background about us. Curvey is an embedded analytics layer for SaaS applications. So we work every day with SaaS companies to help them grow and enhance their product offerings in the realm of business analytics, data visualization, dashboards, and, and those sorts of use cases. Joining me on today's discussion is Kumar Aramaley. Kumar is the CTO at Acto, but he's also involved in many other opportunities. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to him to introduce himself and talk a little bit about his background in various projects. Kumar? Thank you, David. Hello, everyone. My name is Kumar Aramili, co-founder and chief technology officer of Acto. Acto is the number one learning platform for life sciences industry. Uh, we have uh, built the company since in 2015, co-founded with two of my roommates at University of Waterloo, and the rest is history. And today we stand about 120 full-time employees strong and uh, changing the life face of the life sciences industry. Fantastic. And uh, I understand you've been involved with a number of other uh, pr uh, products and projects. Uh, you want to just give us a little bit of a background about some of the other uh, products and companies uh, you, you've also worked with? If you don't Absolutely. Mind. Yeah, I am a serial entrepreneur. Uh, Acto is my third company, third kick at the can. Uh, I have successfully started and exited two pro uh, startups prior to Acto, both of them in the data science and AI space. And this was before the world was taken by storm of the chat GPT. <laughs> so okay. uh, I, I always tend to believe that I had some part to play in the growth of AI and data science. Um, but yes, yes, it has been an incredible journey. And thanks to a couple of my exits, I established my investments and venture capital brand in 2020 called Cayman Ventures. And since then, I've been investing into software companies and helping startups uh, by giving capital and advisory at the right inflection point to take them to the next milestone. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, congratulations on, you know, being able to kind of do this multiple times. Obviously, you know, having one successful product is, is you know, obviously a, a, you know, a great thing and a feat in and of itself, but multiples is fantastic. So as someone who's obviously been involved in a lot of different um, product companies, uh, SaaS businesses, um, you know, I, I'm just kind of curious, um, as a CTO and somebody involved on the technology side, you know, what would your advice be for somebody who's either starting a new product or starting a new project? You know, how do you see that process happening? And, uh, what do you think are kind of the initial steps that somebody has to take to launch, uh, and, and get, and get to market? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for asking that question because the answer to this evolved uh, over time. Since the first time I started the company in 2009, it was all about lean startup, you know, Eric Ries and just do the discovery, get out of the office, um, see how your MVP is reacting with, with the early adopters. So that was, it was all about that. And I've seen the transformation of that into uh, go into the market and try and get the early customers and uh, just, you know, get the early customers to enable to build your product. 
uh, and then try and see if you can verticalize or, or find a niche for your product through your early customers to now where it's more of a market-driven model where uh, going to the market, go to your research analysts such as Gartner's, your Everest groups, and see if you can get some market data because the customer data is a bit more biased. So I've, I've seen the full cycle. Um, there's no there's no one true real answer to this. I think it's 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 a spectrum of uh, really when uh, it, it depends on the industry and the and the problem that you're solving. Uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to does the solution that you have in mind solve the pain point? And the way we've approached it in most of the companies that have uh, started is we we always think that the patient uh, the customer is like a patient going to the doctor, right? Um, they only know the symptoms. They don't know the solution and they actually don't know the real problem. So it's up to us to diagnose the problem for them and give them the solution that works to solve their problem. But what they're really good at is knowing the symptoms. So um, we have tried to build and cater the solution around the symptoms that they've come come to us with. Uh, that has helped us a lot. And we've, we've taken um, some of the early, early adopters and really honed in on them. Uh, you know, we've used some methodology from Lean some from the market, it's called the MDM framework, some from the market-driven model, and try and combine some of the best practices from both to see what is the real solution that is clicking for them. At the end of the day, another thing that uh, you know founders fall in the trap of is they always think like innovation, AI, the buzzwords attract uh, a lot of the customer or prospects into your door. What It's only half truth. We feel like that's a it's a marketing play where it gets the customer into the door, but if they don't have a real pain for the or the problem that your solution solves, it gets tricky for them to put down dollars, uh, you know, and pay and buy your solution. So, uh, yeah, those are a few of the things that we've followed in the past that has really uh, helped us build an innovative product. Well, I think that those are, are great observations, and absolutely agree. Um, you know, with the different options and, and methodologies that you laid out, I'd be curious to kind of dive in a little bit more on the sort of technology selection side, you know, coming from obviously um, myself coming from very much in kind of an engineering and development background and, you know, understanding sort of making decisions about what types of technology you're going to choose when building a new product or feature um, so th this, you know, I probably could guess what your answer is going to be, um, given what you just described, you know, kind of, um, figuring out the market fit and, and, and that sort of thing, but you know, how important and when you've built products in the past is the sort of technology stack that you've, cho you've chosen, uh, to work off of, obviously you just mentioned, like, do I need to bring the, the, the latest and greatest AI in, into the product, you know, is right. that going to be important? Um, do I want to um, hire a team and then let them choose the best fit? Or do I want to find the tech that I want to use and then hire the team to match or find the team to match to kind of the technology that, I, that I'm choosing? What do you, what do you, what's your opinion on that model? Or how would you kind of move forward in making those decisions? Yeah, absolutely. Again, I want to I want to answer it the same way I answered the previous question. I've seen the trend change over time. Uh, back in the day, the time was I want to I want to choose a framework uh, where I can get good talent around, right? So that was one of the notions. 
But then it evolved into, hey, I want to just keep the framework light. I want to choose my tech stack that is very light framework, no code, no SQL, like, you know, pretty light and serverless. That was a trend. But then now, and I'd be remiss if I don't say this, every product and SaaS and services company should be thinking about data, right? Everything in the world revolves around data. And I'm one of the favorite quotes that I have is, data is a new oil. So mm. you're going to have to mine data. That's going to be the new uh, new currency of the future. So I think that, you know, you have to keep data in mind and you got to uh, evolve your stack to consume, uh, you know, do your ETL and get like proper data stack um, and build your tech stack around it. I feel like these days there are so many, the, the frameworks uh, around just your, you know, Ruby on Rails, your like, uh, your backend frames around py uh, Python's, your PHP's, your nodes—they've evolved so much that you can't go wrong choosing any stack. But it comes down to how you want to build and layer your data stack over it, and just uh, you know, yeah, that's probably where QRV can, Quirkway uh, can really help. Uh, yeah, Quirkway can really help. So that also company. brings kind of another aspect to the discussion um, around kind of the costs and and sort of the budgeting of it right so when you you select something you have to decide well how much is this going to cost me and a trend that we've seen pretty much on every product team that we worked yeah. with is much a much higher degree of scrutiny around um kind of the budgets what's allocated to 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 build um the need for justification yeah. so we want to build a new feature um, you sort of have to figure out, well, how am I going to justify spending the, the required resources, whether it's just headcount resources or whether it's actually going out and finding tools and new tech um, to, to kind of leverage for those. Yeah. Uh, are you seeing the same sort of trends? And, and if so, um, you know, any suggestions for how a SaaS company can do an effective job of, of yeah. measuring or at least figuring out? Uh, you know, how to justify the projects that they're working on? Absolutely. It's the classic age-old conundrum for a CTO. Uh, for a founder, it's the chicken-egg problem. And for the CTO, it's the build versus buy problem. Uh, they're definitely classic problems. I think that prior to the the hype of SaaS, like two years ago, when the market was in, like, it was in a bubble and valuations were inflated, the the mantra from the VCs and the investors into SaaS was grow at any cost. So throw any capital, grow at any cost, hire as much of the engineering muscle you want. But of course, when the bubble was due to be burst, when the bubble burst, valuations got squeezed. Uh, it 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 was a natural force uh, putting downward pressure on companies to right size their teams, uh, look at their spend, see what's the right team size that can uh, deliver efficient output. So what companies had to do, and this was, you know, force of hand, was that they had to prioritize. You have to prioritize and see what is the biggest uh, mover and shaker for your organization on the product roadmap. So you cannot, because you're going to have limited resources, you cannot deliver everything. You have to really pick and choose now what is the top priority and your prioritization skills. And that's where your product marketing, your product managers come in and they come in with like scrutiny and say, look, this is where our R&D investment, our R&D dollars have to go. 
and these dollars are going to yield such and such output and move the company forward. And you got to have, you got to have the conviction and the ability to say, no, that is the hardest thing to do, right? Because every feature for a sales rep, every feature for a CSM is the, the most burning feature and every feature for the customer, whether that's changing the color on a button to like changing the text on a button to like some innovative new capability is the priority, right? So the ability for, for companies and the discipline around product roadmap and saying no to things and starting iceboxing, that is, that is the key to essentially, uh, you know, cost cutting and like, you know, ensuring that the resources that you have are being put to good use in terms of finding, uh, you know, build versus buy there, you have to go do a cost benefit analysis on, does it make sense for us to get resources that can build for a long-term uh, vision and the play here? Then in that case, yes, go and like bring in resources internally so that you'd have to go through constant KT. Or, you know, you find a partner and you don't want to reinvent the wheel uh, where, for example, these days to build your own LLM model is, I think, waste of time. <laughs> you have so many good LLMs out there. You have so many good data models out there that you just bring them in and you build, use that as a base model and build a better use case off top of that. So those are, I think, like some of the things. And in, in, in an instance where you need to build some really unique dashboards and data, uh, you know, you'd want to find like a good data partner. Uh, but if there are very niche specific vertical focus metrics that you have to show to your customers, it might be worth it to bring in a data scientist, data scientist or two within your team. So that's where I think as CTOs, we just have to understand and do a cost benefit analysis of where it makes sense to bring in internal resources versus uh, bring in external partners. Yeah, no, you touched on quite a number of sort of decision points, right? So it's the, the build versus buy decision point, the the kind of customer driven request versus sort of market driven request decision point, you know, all, all these different options that sort of exist out there. So I'd, lo I'd love to kind of dig into that second point in a little bit more detail. And I, you've already, you kind of already talked about it where we're speaking to sort of the getting started process and how do you find the right fit for the product? Yep. But once you have your product, you know, in the hands of customers, right? The customers are going to come back and they're going to say, hey, I need this new feature. I need that new feature. You're going to get a laundry list of requests 100%. from customers. Um, and, you know, we're no stranger to that. You know, we have, you know, we have customers constantly asking us for new capabilities, new feature sets. And I'm sure, you know, anybody working in a SaaS product business is getting, you know, lots of demands for new capabilities, um, new use cases, new features within their products. So yep. what's your, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. So how do you balance between delivering for your existing customers yep. and also thinking about, well, what, where is the market headed and how do I continue to innovate? How do I iterate the right way? How do I stay agile? And, and kind of grow in, in the direction that I want to grow as, as a company? Yeah. Great question, David. I think it comes down to how mature your product is, right? If your product is mature enough where the, the customers that are already using the platform are coming to you with more bells and whistles versus like the actual, the, the core capability part of it, then you know that you have a bit more luxury and freedom to 
to deprioritize some of the things that are coming from the customers. But if your product is missing some of the core capabilities that are essential and necessary for some of the customers, and the customers came on and signed on because they, they are early adopters of your platform, then you want to lean in more and you want to definitely listen to them, right? Look, a lot of the founders, they want to beat around the bush around this point, which is, look, the biggest revenue drivers in your customers, you have a, you know, a, 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 a disparity on who brings the most revenue. And your largest customers will naturally have a pull on the roadmap. Do not fight it. If you fight it, you're you're fighting a lot um, lost cause because you don't want to fight a friction where the largest customer is at the risk of churn because they know and and believe me when I say this, even if you have hundred customers, your largest customer will know that they're they're they're, they're your largest customer, and they will have some uh, insight into hey, I have certain say and pull in the roadmap. So what we have done in the past is try to fight that and then created friction around it, which this, you know, it was a tense situation for our customer success team, our chief customer officer, and as well as just the CSMs. So we didn't fight that force. We decided that, you know what, let's not fight the force. Let's try and keep our large customers and the core customers happy. And we started looking at how do we deprioritize the things that, you know, there are instances where other fringe customers bring in some really good capabilities and, uh, and and insights, but then it draws down into the maturity of the product again, right? So one thing that we started doing more of is that we were always big on tooting our own horn that, hey, we have 30 customers using this capability, so it must work for all other uh, prospects in the market. Not always the case. We then were very true to getting market feedback Going, it's, uh, we started adopting more of the market-driven model on the product side, where we started doing uh, market research through our research analysts. Like we partnered with Gartner, we partnered with uh, Everest Group, and they provided true willingness to pay and propensity to buy from the market side. And they give us a real lens of how the market is reacting to certain capability are they willing to put down money where the mouth is, right? Like, are they willing to throw down dollars to buy this capability? And one last thing that we did was we do our annual customer summits. And in the customer summit, we run a, a, a product feature monopoly game with our customers where we give them fake money and we say, here's a list of 10 new innovation capabilities that we're bringing. If you had $10,000 and you were to invest in these capabilities, which are the five in each of the capabilities at, you know, at like say $2,000 each, what are the five that you're going to invest in? And believe me or not, like there should be a pattern that you draw between where most of your customers are thinking that they're going to spend money. And you'll see that, oh, it's not even this AI feature that we were building that excited them. But then where they actually want to pay is this little admin functionality that just, you know, saves two hours for the admins on on the day-to-day -day process right so those are the things where we've learned a lot more insights uh doing those summits that's fantastic actually the the gamification of you know the decision making i think that's a fantastic idea um Thank i'm gonna you. see if we can use some of that absolutely uh, yeah. for it as well i mean I think it does wonders yes a lot of, a lot of uh product companies can, can definitely benefit from those types of exercises um to to help you know figure out what's next um so one last area i just would love to pick your brain about um you know obviously 
um, with your role at, at Acto plus um, your role in, in sort of the, the venture side of things. Um, what's, you know, what's the next interesting thing for you guys? I mean, what, what are you, what gets, what are you excited about? Um, obviously we talked about AI and how you've been involved in that in a really long time. And a lot of people are, um, just kind of coming to that. And that, that can be a very exciting set of use cases that can be, you know, accomplished within a lot of products now, but outside of that, what are you, what are you seeing as kind of the next interesting set of use cases or interesting set of technologies? uh you know com coming forward yeah uh great question david of course yes uh ai data science there's no question about that but the one of the uh sectors is food food mm. sector like agri and food that's one where uh as resources are being consumed on our planet like you know there's there's, there's got to be new ways and new innovation into that industry uh, that is going to help sustain life on Earth for a longer period of time. Also, space. There's no question about finding new homes. <laughs> like that's you know, there's a reason why Musk is always living ten years ahead of the rest of the human beings on this planet. Um, so the space space race and like just uh, you know putting countries on the space race, like and just you know getting sustainable re resources out from planet Earth. So that that is another uh, industry that we've been seeing a lot of movement in. Um, clean tech, clean technology, your, you know, right from your electronic vehicles to, uh, just lithium batteries to just all the clean tech, uh, that's, that's the future. Absolutely. Even if, even if you want to establish colonies on other planets, that's the, that's the technology that's going to go there. So clean tech is another industry where we're seeing a lot of movement and, uh, specifically with AI and data science, the thing is because the world is taken up by that storm it's coming down to companies with real use cases, right? At the end of the day, um, everything needs to tie to some sort of an inflection point or a change that the company is looking to make in, in the world. And if that, that purpose is not there, or if that's missing, then really at the end of the day, it just, it just doesn't drive. Um, it, it doesn't drive, like there's no, like there's, there's a real value. It's not driving uh, the company forward. Like, um, with with a real momentum in my in my opinion so we when we talk to founders especially when we're to, to talking about like angel rounds pre seed seed rounds those are like early stages of the companies the ideas are raw in that stage what we look for is the founders vision and the grit around what is the purpose what is your mission like what are you really trying to do what are you really trying to solve and then technology becomes a lever to really get to that uh, end goal and the purpose right so that's something that we've been doing. And and yeah, like those are some of the sub-verticals and the industries that we've been focusing on. And we're seeing a lot of movement there, like lots and lots of movement. Um, and there are some very, very niche industries around like uh, waste management, around like, you know, some other very specific verticals that will become a problem of the future. If not, I dare I say like problem right now. Those are like, you know, catching trends. But yeah, data, data, AI, number one. And then just like, clean tech, agrotech, space tech. These are all like just uh, some of the exciting industries. And yeah, then, no, I think very appreciate the thoughtful response. I think obviously using data to solve some of these very challenging problems will be, I think, very critical. And absolutely everything kind of continues to go in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, one, one more point, if I may share, actually, you know, it's not a, it's not, um, it, it, it is actually quite evident 
and it's 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 obvious truth that there are the people in the world are like becoming more bipolar like they're either left like you know completely left or like completely on the right side um so i think the future of innovation technologists and just innovators inventors like us it's in our hands to i think start bringing equality and neutrality within within the world uh we want to bring them closer to the center and like just have more open minded open thinking it's in our it's it's in our hands like we should the saas technology all the ai we should be thinking about doing that um and then you know people i think will get sick of it at some point like being so uh on the extremes so uh yeah that's another thing that we should be thinking about and like that we should actually try and see if we can make a change around yeah no i think to bring more neutrality into the world great great point yeah certainly seeing how technology can help us right that's something that i think absolutely you, you can't lose sight on the fact that a lot of a lot of what we do you know even if it seems fairly trivial from you know sort of the data and or technology resources standpoint can have a significant impact on uh, you know people's lives and or you know the world in general so that's great points overall so I'll give you the last kind of word, you know, what's, uh, how can people find you? What, how do they learn more about what you guys are doing at Acto? You know, give us a little uh, plug for, you know, what's coming up there as yeah. well. 